The Tapes is supported by Horrified, the website that celebrates and champions British horror, covering films, television, books, fiction and more. You can visit Horrified at horrifiedmagazine.co.uk and find them on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at horrifiedmag. The Tapes is part of the Pod Dojo Network. Welcome to The Tapes, a podcast of the uncanny. On this episode, I'm joined by Jennifer, Tom, Math and Harry as we discuss 2016's The Devil of Christmas, the Christmas episode of Inside Number 9. Merry Christmas. And so this this episode, for me, stands out because I love just the way it looks. I love the, the, the setup. I love... That everything about it is just so pleasing in its in its design, uh, in terms of as a big fan of, well, I won't say crap, <laughs> but you know <laughs> those kind of sort of shonky, wonky seventy sci-fi horror, you know that that is you know a three camera setup in one setting, and when you cut outside, it's that's where they shoot on film, and when they cut to back inside, it's you know, the shot on videotapes, you get that, you know, like a Doctor Who episode from the 70s. This came out, I thought, this is perfect, this is, this is fine. They've made one just especially for me. So I was really <laughs> looking forward to seeing this one. And when it started off, obviously it starts off, and I thought this was just going to be a full, you know, half an hour episode where it is just in the form of a 70s kind of sci-fi, tales of the unexpected type episode because obviously inside number nine is very much kind of tales of the unexpected in those kind of anthology you know kind of series so when it that when it began i thought this is just within the first i think first five ten minutes it turns the format on its head again and i think that really just goes to show just how inventive they are so obviously it opens up with this clapperboard so it's like almost like with the um the opposite end of you know the little girl with the doll he used to get at the end of, oh, yeah, when yeah. they weren't broadcasting it, and it just starts and you're in this set and you get these this wonderful exterior 70s i don't know kind of swiss town village and this slow zoom juddering manual zoom yeah. <laughs> closing in on the chalet and then obviously you're introduced obviously it then cuts to inside and you've got the uh this family who was staying at the chalet kind of over christmas with their um what is it? Is he? Is he a uh, the kind of oh, I can't remember what Klaus is his official role in the beginning. He's what the I don't the know. butler. Yeah, I'm not sure. But again, straight off, funny mustaches, seventies <laughs> fashion, yeah. you know, wooden acting. Oh yeah, especially from the <laughs> yeah. yeah, kid's absolutely yeah. tragic, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Really stiff and just. <laughs> Barely any facial and obviously make references to that, doesn't he? The yeah, yeah. To, to that lesson. Yeah. When you saw it, did you, did you kind of get all those kind of references to to like mention to those kind of seventies multi-camera dramas that used to get during the seventies and the eighties? I haven't seen an awful lot of them, apart from maybe yeah, Doctor Who, those kind of things, where it's obviously set and you can see they're trying to do everything to make it look realistic. So that establishing shot, I, was it a model village it almost looked like? I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're not going really to go to Austria, like, are they? Just films <laughs> a random town, are they? Um, like some library footage or something, yeah. And the, uh, later he says he was 
the the director says he was quite proud of the snow, uh, the effect. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. that's the only outdoor shot, isn't it, in the whole thing, I think. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's it, it's obviously, I thought, as soon as I watch it, it's a spoof of those sort of horror. Not, not pretty amateur, but hopefully enough suspense in it to sort of make it a bit scary. But pretty... Yeah, pretty amateur. Pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but knowing inside of an nine, you just you know there's going to be more to it than that. And then the biggest twist to start with is obviously the you, hang on, you hear the the director's commentary or whatever. Well, you assume it's the director's commentary, so that that was yeah. hilarious just hearing that for the first time. Yeah, I, I, I thought I thought it was going to play out the entire. It was just, yeah. just going to be a sort of inside number nine episode. Just in this setting, but the, when when obviously the director's commentary kind of comes in, they start and they rewind the film. Uh, we obviously wants to point out there's a mistake to do with the the, the, the picture of Krampus. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's on the entranceway, yeah. and then and just rewatching it, just all these just these really lovely moments where you, where it's deliberately you see that like the shadow of the boom yeah. mic yeah. in the shot. There's a shot where Klaus moves across the camera, and when it cuts, you can see a member of the cast just runs like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shot really quickly. <laughs> All the stuff that I love about that is you can tell again, like a lot of their episodes, it's such a labor of love. There's so much that's gone into these. It's never look how rubbish it was back during the 70s. Yeah. Like really loving homage yeah. to that kind of television. Where does this stand in terms of kind of? You know, you're you're obviously having seen quite a few of the episodes. Is this is this one of the better ones, or is this a bit too gimmicky, or is it a bit? Because that's the thing you could accuse it of being. Oh well, the story's not that great. You know, it's just really it's just an exercise in you know taking the Mickey out of seventies kind of television. Well, um, for me, I'm I'm an absolutely massive fan of the of the show, and there's very few episodes that I'm you know kind of less keen on i either think they're really like really good or unbelievably good um this is one um to be honest what with with sort of christmas episodes of things i do try to mainly only watch them at christmas <laughs> so if you don't watch them one year then you, you've sort of missed it for another year so i i although i've i found myself reasonably familiar with it i'm, I'm not as familiar with it as as i was with some of the other episodes um in terms of the format and and everything, of of course, you know, as Tom says, it, it's inside number nine. It's it Pemberton and Shearsmith, so you know that it's not just going to be straightforward. But I don't think before this they'd ever played around m- much, if at all, with the sort of format of what you're watching. So you're not actually watching what you think you are, or do you know what I mean? It's normally been mm-hmm. twists and turns within the story itself, yeah. which there are. But then the whole thing around that, I think. For me personally, I don't think it's I, I don't think it's gimmicky. I, I think it's I think it's a brilliant idea, and it's so well done. The fact that, like you say, to start with, you think you're just watching a bit, you know, just this an homage or whatever to a, a '70s horror Christmas special. Mm-hmm. But then, when when you hear Derek Jacobi's voice, the director, you're like, oh, whoa! And then and then <laughs> yeah, it brings it brings some humour, but then. That's all, you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, well, hang on, is there something else going on here? What's, what, what else, what else is, uh, is happening? So I, for me, it's, it's maybe not up there with my absolute favorite episodes, but it's, it's, you know, I think it's brilliant television. And I think it's, it's such original 
storytelling, etc. Jennifer, do you want to repeat what you said before? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with Matthew. I think it's really, really good. It's um, one of the good things about Inside Number Nine is that there doesn't seem to be well. The consistency is that it's always amusing. Um, there has there's only been one that I think I finished watching and wasn't quite sure what actually had happened. Oh yeah. Um, that was the another Christmas one. Was it? Oh, was it the one where it wasn't a Christmas special? Yes, yeah. the Christmas. It, it wasn't. No, it wasn't really for Christmas. I know. It loves Great Adventure. I think it's called. Yeah, where but... the, was it? The money kept being taken yeah. or something. Yeah, the sun in this strange sun or something. Yeah, and I I still don't yeah. know. I, I I don't really like uh, you know um, googling to find out what somebody else thinks it is. So I I still don't know what it what it all means and what happened. But that's the only one. But what I was going to say is that. It, they're all very different, all the episodes, which I think is brilliant about Inside Number Nine and its creation. But they're all similar in that they're they're dark, they're humorous, <laughs> and you're always surprised by something. And with this one, I, I just thought it was really funny, the the overacting with the whole 70s acting. But like I said, the boy was <laughs> rubbish. He was very, very stiff. Um, his hair just... I don't know. Oh, I, the I hair, yeah. There was a part, actually, where the narrator, the director, was... was um, saying i think like mocking about the way it was being filmed and he refers to the child being sidetracked by what he can see behind yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. you know like yeah everybody's having dinner but if you notice nobody's actually eating anything yeah. and just things like yeah. that it was really really good and then when somebody got in the way of the krampus because they kept showing after they've got past the stage where the krampus picture was in the wrong place there's various shots where they're always deliberately trying to make sure you can see it and then somebody would get in the way. So, um, yeah, no, I, I love it. I think it's great. And um, the ending is especially amusing. It's slightly disturbing. In fact, very disturbing. <laughs> but, you know, probably that's what makes it so it's funny. It's amusing. Yeah. <laughs> I, a word that came to mind. Yeah. I, I, it must be. It's one of my favourites, definitely, they've done. Because... The, like you say, Matt, they haven't done one like that before where even the format is a twist almost. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah for the first thing that's weird, of course, is that it isn't set now and it's not particularly, it looks a bit more naff. It's not as polished deliberately. Then you've got the commentary and rewinding it and looking back. So I just assumed that was going to be the whole episode. It would be an actual, you know, horror, Christmas horror story hmm. with the comments at the director just telling us about it. And I thought that was it. Because that's that's enough twists for Inside Number Nine, so I wasn't expecting. <laughs> it's all dealt. I mean, we'll get onto it, but it's all dealt with very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> shockingly. Um, yeah, I, I just I love how the the actors of uh, every time you know Steve Pemps and Reese Shearsmith are in it, and they have these stupid haircuts. That's got <laughs> that's got me laughing already. Cause the, yeah, Steve Pemberton. I mean, his his wife's you know younger than him, and that's funny. That you don't know is he is he meant to be you know vain his character that he oh I have a nice wife and kid and this sort of thing you know because he could be. Uh, we we watched um, the uh, what's it called Bernie Clifton's dressing room with the two oh, two yeah. old comedians, and you're like. He's, mm -hmm. he's probably meant to be in his seventies in that one. It's just, it's just because obviously League of Gentlemen, they they just play any, yeah, any age, any gender, you know, anything, don't they? So it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. So I, I love seeing Rhys Smith 
doing stupid Austrian accent. But again, it's deliberately ba- a bad accent, isn't it? Yeah. Even though Derek Jacobi says it's a good accent. I mean, it isn't really, is it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but even that was a... It, 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 well, it threw you off in, because you thought it was him trying to be deliberately do a bad accent. Not what it actually was, was that, of course, he wasn't Austrian and he was in on it, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, so there's so many double bluffs going on. <laughs> um, just on that, in terms of um, an actor who is playing someone, a character who is acting, oh, you know right, what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, my mate um, at uni, I remember he uh, he pointed it out that he was always obsessed with that when that was in films and TV stuff. I think, I think we were watching Mission Impossible 3 when... <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman is playing yeah. uh, Ethan Hunt on Cruise, playing his character, if you know what I mean. Yeah, because he's got the mapping so, on. Yeah, yeah. So it's always quite here. I mean, it's a really like complicated thing where you're pretending you're pretending to be somebody else, pretending to be somebody yeah. else. And it's uh, on a magic yeah, bigger service. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. on the third night my god if you are still not mended he will come for you it goes on about this speech chains stuffed into his sack and hurled down into the flames of hell typical friday night in Berkhamsted, eh mummy oh his eyes something about his eyes like he knows something everything <laughs> well, I think we'll stick with good old Father Christmas if it's all the same with you, Klaus. <laughs> now, come on, everybody. Let's go and unpack. Come on, darling. It's Reese that is Klaus, who's like this, you know, butler type character. Obviously, you've got Steve Pemberton as the the father. Uh, he's there with his his, his own mother, and there's this <laughs> weird dynamic going on. Uh, mother, honey, yes. and all this. <laughs> yeah, obviously. And then to have Jessica Rain is probably most famous for to call the midwife. She's in that, isn't she? So, quite an interesting choice. And obviously, again, you find out later on that this is his his, his second wife, and not the not the mother of his badly acting child. Um, <laughs> So yeah, like I, say, I loved I love the fact the fact that obviously it's set at Christmas. You know, it is snowy. You know, it obviously it's a Christmas special. It sort of does tie into the whole kind of BBC Ghost Story for Christmas series and this, you know, and, and all that sort of baggage. And I think it sits really well because it's not too kind of on the nose. You, you know, and obviously Krampus is very much a a European thing. Um, and obviously, you get the usual warnings about Krampus and what that entails about, you know, good boys and <laughs> you know, behaving yourself like this evil, evil Santa Claus yeah. with the switches and in your boots. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Goes on a bit, though, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that, that's, what, that's what I like about. Because actually, if you, if you pull out the, the commentary, if you were just to watch it, if someone just edited it together, it would be it'd be okay. It would be quite yeah, yeah. the twist in the actual story itself is is quite good. You know the whole kind of well, what's it called? There's that French film, isn't there? About you know trying to get someone to 
anyway, I'll let it out. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, what's it called? The one with, with the, the husband. They think they've killed the husband, and he comes out of the bath. Oh my word! He's dead. No, I'll I'll I'll, I'll remember it. Really at, like one in the morning. One in the morning. <laughs> One of the finest suspense thrillers ever made. From 1955 is Henri-Georges Clouseau's Le Diabolique. Starring the director's wife, Vera Clouseau, and the fabulous Simon Signoret, it's been described by some as the greatest film Hitchcock never made. And once you watch this dark, dank thriller, you'll see that's a very apt description. When the film was released, the posters advertised it as the great suspense classic that shocked the world. And although the surprise ending has gone on to be much imitated, at the time they asked you not to reveal it. But anyway, so obviously you find out that that's what, that's what happened. So you get all sorts of fun scenes of building up this notion of, you know, the crown person kind of trying to scare this kid and it being overly dramatic, kind of lots of eyebrows and turning towards, you know, yeah. the camera and, you know, people. And then on the commentary, you get that, oh, it's a bit, oh you can watch here, she missed her mark. Or, yeah. you know, she flipped yeah. a line here where she says, I think I think the, the grandmother puts the little boy to bed. She repeats the line. She says, "Now you get to get into bed." Yeah, She's yeah. Into bed. She sort of looks <laughs> yeah, away and yeah. looks back again. Bit of a slow oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a little bit like Garth Marenghi, or uh, I suppose uh, Acorn Antiques. <laughs> you know, there's the naffness and making deliberate mistakes that you're kind of in on. But obviously, then you get the, the commentary where he's sort of pointing these out, makes it even more fun because, let's say, you've got this story and then you've got another story that's happening because then as the, as it goes on you you see more kind of i suppose the more raw footage you see the rehearsals you see the kind of the b-roll of them you know getting getting the uh the food into focus and then putting it in and like say them just pushing food around the plate and that's, that's <laughs> never, really, reason, never i think i loved it so much because we, we've well me and Matt have done a bit of extra work and we've also done amateur dramatics and it really sort of chimed with the whole not actually, if you look closely at the things, the sort of yeah. tricks of the trade, you, you know, they never, eat. yeah, yeah, none of the drink ever goes down, you know, yeah, it's all, yeah, Ribena, wasn't it? Uh, for the water for the glue vine, yeah, uh, yeah. and then, uh, yeah, when we were, when I was doing plays as well, sort of whether it was supposed to be whiskey or brandy or something, it was always tea, but obviously yeah. no milk and watered down and cold, and it was. Not very nice at all. So you know, you're just taking the tiniest <laughs> sips of it. But yeah, that that food pushing the food around—it's ridiculous, <laughs> isn't it? Really makes me laugh. Yeah. Like, yeah, you see it in soaps even now. You, oh yeah, you it. do. They just will not take a no. bite. Yeah, <laughs> of course it's cold. <laughs> Having Derek Jacobi as the director is just perfect. He's just such a such a lovely voice, and he is such a darling. You can imagine him being a bit, you know, on on set. Yeah, yeah, and being quite snobby about people's performances. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he talks about in reference to John Pertwee, and he talks about, yeah. like, oh, well, he, 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 each, he has his own, you know. Yeah. Wurzel Gummidge and Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs>
this definitely sort of stands out as, as a, a, a kind of fun, even though they deal with such dark elements and can be, you know, obviously lean towards horror. Some episodes are more fun than others, mm. you know, in terms of the tone. And this one, it's it, straight out is 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 until the ending. I think for me, is a very fun experience and <laughs> yeah, yeah nods to, to to dvd commentaries and you know behind the scenes stuff and a bit of gossip you know, everything that comes with that i think it works really well it definitely stands out as as, as, as one of my sort of favorites hi i'm rob i'm simon and i'm james we want to talk about those movies those supposedly bad movies. Those movies that bombed. To see if they weren't that bad after all, join us every other Tuesday on the For Your Reconsideration podcast, part of the Pod Dojo Podcast Network. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, and all your usual podcast apps. And it won't cost you a solitary bean, mate. <laughs> it's like it's free. <laughs> it's just like it's free. <laughs> <laughs> that bit when the, the grandmother or his mother goes up she like stomps off and then the camera oh, yeah. sees her because she can't go any further run out of stage <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. So don't goes on you get the warnings about sort of Krampus and there's the, the sort of subplots about the wife with the bottles of, of pills and taking one out and you're not too sure who's it for and she you know, pulls that sort of away and obviously that comes into play like it's such a lovely self-contained little story within it and the build-up of you know the, the, the boy getting the scratches on the chest mm. you know the, <laughs> the, the, uh, <laughs> all the music scary yeah. I'd say just gets it. It's absolutely. I think it's pitch perfect. Mm. How it's able to recreate it, it, it or the, the kind of seventies um, TVs, is just brilliant. Was there any other kind of scenes that stand out to you at all? When we recently we watched Rosemary's Baby, the original one, and I oh. and I thought instantly she Jessica Rame is very similar to Mia Farrow in that sort of. I'm not Mia Farrow was brilliant in it, but you know, overacting and just becoming pretty pathetic and hopeless. And but again, it, that was an act within the film, wasn't it? Mm. Within within this one, not not in Rosemary's Baby, but gradually becoming more and more dependent on everybody else and hopeless, mm-hmm. and and being overtaken by what she thought was going on and how evil everybody was. So yeah, super. I mean, there's like one shot of her where she's just sort of like. Oh. Oh, you know, right in front of the camera and almost looking at the camera, it's so obvious. <laughs> Overhanging the pudding. There's a scene where they find that the boy's got the scratch on his chest and she gets a little bit hysterical, so he slaps her. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But then she's holding the wrong side of her right. face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, we just thought it was great, you know, because obviously it's, you know, camera, everything's to camera. Yeah. Everything. I-, I was going to say, um, I think. I, I love all the. It really made me laugh out loud. A lot of the the sort of 
mistakes, um, the deliberate mistakes, like that scene where um, where he slaps her, um, and then you know that you hear them ask him, ask him to do it again, but sound even yeah, angry. Yeah. And then he and then he does it angry. Oh dear me! I was like, yeah, yeah. And it like zooms in on him. <laughs> oh, it really made me laugh. And then, uh, and then, of course, the thing about he had to get he had to get done by that day, so he was rushing his lines. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that really, that's really. So, and then, so she sl- she slowed down. Yeah. So, you know, really, really clever. Uh, yeah. Because in those really days, it was more like that, wasn't it? It was just the film wasn't digital, was it? So you had a limited number of, of films. You couldn't really sort of just oh, can I perfect that and do it again? Chewing yeah, them yeah. out, weren't they? Massive pace. Yeah. So, what do you say? Unless you sort of banged into the sideboard, you'd continue. Wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was. Yeah. And and also the slap thing is it's again to draw you into the seventies, isn't it? Where that, that kind of thing on TV was acceptable, and that was fine for a yeah. husband yeah. to hit a wife. <laughs> well, that whole thing's quite like cliched, isn't it? Um, you know, for like a horror film where. It's it's the woman, it's the wife, it's the stepmother who's the one. She's she's. I know it's. I know there's a twist in the end, but she's the one who's going a bit, you know, crazy with it all. Yeah, and yeah. To yeah. Deal with it. and and you know the dismissive husband and <laughs> you know yeah. basically he just Steve Pemberton just made me laugh so much yeah. during this. Uh, this <laughs> Slightly generic. Yeah, yeah. shower scene. Yeah. Was he singing Good King Wenceslas? Or that that seemed to be what he was uh, humming or something. So it's trying to it's sort of rack tension within the story of 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 that Krampus Krampus is coming. Um with the switches in the in the boots and things. And then there's a really nice um the, obviously, try, then realize let's let's get rid of the boy. Let's and there's only two tickets left. So, you know, the grandmother and, and she leaves, and um, Back all with it. there's a great, there's a really, really great shot where where you just see the back of of Krampus. Oh yeah, it's really scary. Up. Yeah, great shot. You know, like, again, they don't, even though it is obviously sort of played for laughs in it, they always understand horror even though they understand comedy just as well. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's what always works is that they don't, when it's, when it's scary, it is scary. Yeah. It's yeah, scary. yeah. Like, not a wink. Yeah. Well, the actual, the actual draw, I don't know if it's a, it's <laughs> not the drawing that they've done or something, but even if they've just chosen it, that is pretty scary. Yeah. The kid's face. Pretty horrifying. That part. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Yeah, really <laughs> petrified child in the pit. And back. Yeah, not for kids, not oh, for you dear. either. That was yeah, pretty. Yeah, awful. <laughs> the, there's the the bit where she, she realizes that obviously that he's there's no child there, but obviously Krampus is still coming, and you really obviously mentioned about the fact that she's pregnant. Oh yeah, yeah, which I think is really, yeah, you know? yeah. but yeah, and then obviously reveals he has his. Well, he has a heart attack, doesn't he? The, the... Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then you get the the reveal that, that Krampus isn't real. Yeah. That he's, in fact, well, not Klaus, is Klaus, but isn't Klaus. Yeah, Simon. It, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, an English name. The twist that she yes. again and pills down. Yeah. Uh, not. Yeah. Not because she had the problem, but she was doing it deliberately to yeah. 
But obviously, you wouldn't right. just die there and then, would you? I mean, if you hadn't had the pills there. No. <laughs> it's brilliant. If I can just have that pill now, this heart attack will stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great twist, you know, in terms of the, the, the actual story inside the story. Um, you know, to have that she's actually the one who's set this all up and he's going to run off with her with simon um, and then sorry. Did it say do we find out who he is no i don't think we do he's going to go uh, all the way uh, there to <laughs> just... <laughs> he <doesn't even> impossible. <laughs> just... i'll go ahead yeah yeah we klaus <laughs> um, and then we'll plan that and then when he dies you know but yeah, I, I, when I was watching it, I was like, "Oh, this is oh, what a great little twist that was." You know, it's quite a classic kind of yeah, yeah. you know horror thriller. So it worked really well. And then it was like, oh, "Okay," and then you get the, you know, she's opens the bottle of champagne, and you, obviously just another scene. You're thinking, "Oh, what's sort of going to happen here?" And um, he ties her to the bed, and you're like, "Oh, oh okay," and uh, <laughs> uh, right. And there's a real shift in the mood, and then the cut, and he goes off. It was, and she's like, she says, "Oh, is that? Are you finished for the day now?" You know, yeah. To the actor, uh, and then this right, okay. And there's people whispering on the set. Yeah, it's horrible. It's just true, kind of whispering, and then they pull in this plastic sheet. Oh, dear. And when I was yeah. watching, it, yeah. it, <laughs> what is happening? Hang on. And then obviously there's someone else as dressed as the Krampus, isn't it? Another guy in the in the in the in the bottom half of the yeah. suit. Again, like a really aggressive version of yeah, yeah. of uh, of re- Yeah. So what did you think of that ending? So obviously there's the there's the the sort of first ending that Simon or you know Reece Smith. He's actually going to kill her, and that's when the episode cuts, isn't it? You know, as in what was supposed to be broadcast. I think that's right, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The and then obviously got, was the, she was meant then, to be killed as another twist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fill me. But then, but then, yeah, dear me. I, when I saw it with the plastic sheet, I mean that that never bodes particularly well. <laughs> <laughs> a, a plastic sheet, and I thought you know, goodness me, what on earth is happening here? And then, you know, another person coming in and this, this will sound um, obviously a bit weird, but both how Reese Shearsmith appeared with the sort of just the bottom half of the suit with the kind of the dungaree type, the, you know, the straps over the braces um, and the other guy, they had that sort of that strong man body rather than like a muscular body or something that, um, you know, um, so obviously I'm a big Batman fan. When uh, when Christopher Nolan wanted Tom Hardy to get strong for Bane, he didn't want him to be muscular. He wanted him to be like a circus strongman. And uh, I find it quite scary. Like you know, like in Raiders of the Lost Ark and Thingy, like Pat Roach in that. He's he's yeah. not like really muscular, but it's like a sort of intimidating physical presence. Yeah. Uh, and also um, in the you know, the um, thingy version of Scrooge, the musical version of Scrooge with um, it's absolutely terrifying. Albert Finney and uh, Alec Guinness, when they go down into like hell. Yeah, yeah. There's people, there's people that look a bit like that with a, almost almost looks like what the Krampus guy was wearing at the end there. So I, I find that quite scary. But yeah, dear me, it, suddenly, it does suddenly go 
you know, you realise what's what's happening, what's happened, yeah, very quickly. Um, and then and then there's the reveal of the that it's like a police interview type thing. It's it's a very quick twist. You know, it doesn't give you loads of time to uh, for the thing to breathe. It ends quite quickly, doesn't it? But my word, it's it's clever and it's it's suddenly a very dark shift. Yes. Yeah. So is when he the director's talking about it at the end, he says something like, Yes, I didn't know this was still in circulation or something. And you still think then, oh, he's probably just on about the episode, because it's this could be him now looking back at in the the seventies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then you're thinking at the end, if this is a police interview, they only just discovered the tape. So I, I don't know, either either this is thirty years on or this is the the police interview from the seventies. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I got the overthink- I got the impression that it, that it was that like now, and that when he says in circulation, it's it's like a snuff yeah, film yeah. because there's a there's a bit where he says on the, on when he, on the commentary he says something like um, he makes reference to oh it's always surprising when they realise on their face yeah as if to say that this okay. has happened more than once yeah. and I'm like <laughs> is he you know yeah, is this yeah. A, a string yeah. of murders, yeah. you know, snuff films that were made during the production time. stuff in on it then, or is it they will sort of walk off though, and the act, some of the actors walk off and the left. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's well, it seems. Yeah, I think it must be. Yeah, because they put the plastic sheet on. Well, they, <laughs> they're very they it back, like yeah, yeah, we're just we're now going to get on to the to the best bit, and it, they all seem. <laughs> You know, there with their headphones and just moving around in their jumpers and jeans. That's right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's part of, um, you know, it's obviously a bit of an empire, this snuff oh, business. Dear me. And yeah, he doesn't sound remorseful, does he, the director? No. No, no. no. <laughs> no. And, and, great, and a great, and again, and such a brilliant twist because, you know, you obviously you have the twist in the story. Then you get the twist that you what, what you're watching is a snuff film and then the twist that isn't a commentary it's basically yeah. a interview yeah. with, yeah. with him it's like, and then you left it finishes so abruptly yeah. you kind of laugh like yeah yeah. yeah yeah they always did anyway just the casual credits with no you know, yeah. sort of there and no, no real theme or music or anything just <laughs> so scary it is, it, and, and yet they say that that it, I found of, of all of them, this was the one that stuck with me because of just how abruptly that it changed, yeah. and I was I was kind of with it. Oh, this is fun. This is seventies. This is like you know behind the scenes and quite creepy. Yeah, you know the actual story of it, and then the ending. I was just left kind of just... scarred for life. Yeah, pretty much. And a few other people I've spoken to said the same thing that it was just that ending really, yeah, really threw them. Because I don't think there's when you when you even we've watched that a few times now, and I don't think there's any point before the plastic sheets come on that you would even think that that was going to come next. No, no. We all know to to expect the unexpected with Inside Number Nine, but you could not have imagined that that was going to be the ending, and it's like. Oh my it's just ever since Leave Gentlemen, you know, it, it it's mainly a comedy, but it's pretty dark. Yeah, <laughs> it, gets, yeah. it gets you know the Christmas <laughs> of that, which I know we'll 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 discuss at some point yes. in the future. 
they were obviously getting darker and darker. And yeah. It, you know, by the third series, it's like there's no laughter track in the background. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the one with the, the B&B, you know, with the asphyxiation and all that and the sort of... Oh, it's yeah. all sex hotel place, yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. so dark. You, they, they obviously, I, I, the darker it gets for me, the funnier it gets. Oh no, absolutely, I, I agree with you. It's just hilarious, and it's so messed up. Like, I do, and I actually think it's a, it's a bit like the whole Marmite. It's quite cliche to to say that, but you know, when you're, we all, all obviously yeah. really enjoy League of Gentlemen Inside Number Nine. But when you, it's one of the first things I ask people when I get to know them as well. I don't mean the first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do yeah. like Inside Number Nine, but I think it really says a lot about people that that like that humor and understand it. Yeah. Like if my mum, yeah. when we were at school, League of Gentlemen was on. And my mum could never understand why me and my brothers found it hilarious. You know, and thank goodness she doesn't understand. Because she's nice and innocent. Exactly. I I don't think I'd be too impressed if mum was a fan. Yeah. But um, it does say something, I think, about liking it. Yeah. That episode sort of stands out because, you know, having, having kind of watched, you know, obviously being a big fan of League of Gentlemen, then watching Psychoville, this was the third series, wasn't it? The opening of the third series. I always kind of knew, got them. You know, I understand, right. you know, kind of understood the humor and the balance between humor and, you know, pathos and, 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 and everything else and the horror. But for this one, it stands out because the horror for me is so shocking. And because it comes out of nowhere, yeah. even though the, a lot of the other episodes are have horrific elements and in some episodes that are sort of almost like, you know, incredibly dark and, and disturbing in, in, in what they cover and the tone. <laughs> there was this one really stuck with me and I think it is because of that. Yeah. It came out of nowhere and I was just left <laughs> just <laughs> trying to understand. You know. We need to book a therapy uh, session, Chris. It sounds yeah. like you're still <laughs> to deal with. <laughs> well, we saw that. We saw it just the other day, the Don't F with Cats, didn't we? Oh, the yeah. documentary. Have you watched that? All right, yeah. And... Netflix. It's yeah, so yeah. good, but it, eventually there is a kind of, well, a snuff film in it, but a real one, you, you know, and you just, it's it couldn't be the more scary thing, could it? Can you imagine if you were just emailed that or this was under circulation and you were told that this is going to be an actual murder, live murder. It's just, the thought of it is just so scary. But, uh, even more scary because that is the reality. Yeah, yeah. Um should you know how to access the dark web, I'm sure one would be able to well, find yeah. such things. Those things exist. But in the 70s, it would have been, yeah. Well, there were videos being passed around. Oh, it? yeah, Same absolutely. People. I was going to say, Faces of Death, which was that videotape that I remember at high school, people were like, oh, you've got to get it. Turns out now it's not. It's, it is all, it's not. People were saying, <laughs> it's a sn- it actually is a literal snuff film that you can get a videotape. Ghost Watch. It wasn't. <laughs> but people talk about that apparently it's been sort of debunked and it's not none of it in none of it is actually real it was like a bit of a marketing kind of thing um but again the idea that people make snuff films just it, it was when i was younger it was yeah. terrifying yes. <laughs> and, and i don't know if that the, this episode taps into that yeah <laughs> Within the span of a heartbeat, your world could stop. There is no way to predict when you will become one of them. 
for the first time in cinema history, the greatest fear of all mankind will be graphically exposed. Now, a motion picture dares to take you beyond the threshold of the living, where you may discover your own face of death. This film will introduce you to a world where the bizarre is not uncommon and the normal seems out of place. Never has a more gripping study of death been revealed to the motion picture audience. An exploration into a bloody world where violence creates an image not soon to be forgotten. started thinking. Faces of death. Now a major motion picture. The idea that you can get a VHS copy of because it was yeah a compilation. You don't really, murder. I've not really heard about them for so long. Some yeah, and it's almost like a myth. It seems like a very seventies thing, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, so that makes it scary. Like, I haven't thought about that for so long, so it wouldn't have even entered your head. Yeah. And then when you see it, and like you've said today, the fact that there's a whole production team and they've obviously done it before makes yeah. it even worse. <laughs> <laughs> They're very proficient. You know, they knew it. Now, now bring in the uh, the plastic sheet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of, it was very uh, efficient in their... Uh... So scary, yeah. I, I just find the image but, yeah. of the... Like I say, a bit like the puck off Midsummer Night's Dream, the the sort of the strong man top, and then the scary, yeah, you know, like the, the legs, yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't like that. Anyway, when you see the mask in the background, the, the monster chasing, like the horrible eyes, very seventies horror eyes, the yeah. so, a bit like that horrible thing in Flash Gordon, almost. Um, you see that green monster type thing. The eye, the eyes are very similar. Um, Mm. Yeah, just practical effects, isn't it? Again, so mm-hmm. it's some guy chasing them on set. <laughs> <laughs> love it, absolutely. Love it. <laughs> so funny. opportunities for you to talk about any of your favorite episodes or just you know we don't have to go into too much detail you know just sort of discuss or kind of flag anything that you really love or just something that you would recommend to someone maths do you have an episode in particular you want to um discuss yeah um yeah i was going to um talk about the episode cold comfort but i'm i'm not necessarily saying that cold uh, that this one is my ab- absolute favorite i you know i love so many of them and in fact Perhaps Bernie Clifton's dressing room, and also, and also maybe the Twelve Days of Christine are like those are really good, almost drama episodes. Um, obviously, there's funny bits in them, um, but in fact, on Twelve Days of Christine, um, our 
our brother James and uh, his family went with another family who we know to um, to our cottage in the Cotswolds. Oh, yeah. And uh, we, we told them, um, oh, yeah, there's this programme that's out <laughs> number nine, you've got to watch it. <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, because James was familiar with League of Gentlemen and I think, actually, he'd watched more Psychoville than we had. Um, but um, they, were, they were like, oh, yeah, it's such a funny comedy. And I don't know why we did that. It's stupid. But then they watched 12 Days of Christine and they were like, whoa, that's pretty... Uh... <laughs> Like quite scary, quite just quite like yeah, really like grueling and yeah, harrowing. Anyway, um, cold comfort. Yeah, it's the episode from. Um, I think that's also. Uh, oh no, no, sorry. I think it's second series. It's the episode where um, Steve Pemberton plays a uh, a guy called Andy, and I, th- I think something they always do is if the person's more normal that they're playing, they less they wear less makeup or yeah yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he looks like Steve Pemberton basically, and it's a fairly there are funny bits in it, but yeah, I I, I think I, I mean are we are we not doing spoilers in case people watch have watched it or does it not? Is that the one which is mainly on the CCTV? Yeah, it, it's supposed to be a call centre, like a sort of helpline. Uh, yes. yeah. Comfort support line, it's called. And uh, he's starting his job there. And he gets introduced to um, to Jane Horrocks, who, who plays uh, plays Liz. Jane Horrocks from Rotten Store, Arne right, Woods right. from Rottendale. Um, and Rhys Shearsmith plays George, who is their, their like manager. And he's a bit of a you know pernickety, annoying guy. Anyway, whilst... Um, Andy has one of his first calls. It's from um, a young girl, 16-year-old girl called Chloe, who says that she hates her life and she hates her family, particularly her stepdad. And then um, she asks Andy to to sing the song Shine by Take That to her whilst uh, <laughs> while she takes drugs. <laughs> so dark. Sorry, I can't believe I'm saying this. And so he assumes she dies because she just goes quiet. Shortly afterwards, an old lady rings and and says that her cat's died and she's really upset. And he he sort of snaps at her and she you know and hangs up on her because he's saying you know that's nothing compared to what what you know just had to go through type thing. Then eventually, uh, sorry, there's there's other things that happen, but it, it's eventually revealed that um, the old lady killed herself because of um, the cat dying and the way that Andy had spoken to her, and then. George, uh, sorry, Andy discovers, and his uh, and his colleague discover that it's George Reeshearsmith's character who is pretending to be Chloe, the young girl. Oh, damn! It's so it, it, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant, unbelievable twist. And um, and yeah, and then oh, I, I mean, I'm spoiling the whole thing, so you, hopefully you've turned off by now. But um, <laughs> you can edit it out if you want. Um, but. Then, um, so George is like, he leaves before the police or anyone can get involved with this. And then the next day, Andy, Steve Pemberton, is uh, is back at work and he gets a phone call from George telling him that he's given, he's given the old lady's son who was an, you know, who's been discharged from the army and his whereabouts. And then he suddenly appears with a gun behind yeah. the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so like that. I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, sadly, the song "Shine" by Take That is playing at the end, which isn't one of my favourites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that, but I just think it's brilliant, and this idea of um, Reese Shearsmith playing a, um, a, a young girl. So the way that they did that, I think, is really clever. They got they got an 
um, an actress to read the lines. Then they got um, Reese Shearsmith to read them, I think. And then they sort of mix them together oh. a bit so that, and, and she, there's three times that she rings and like the first time it's more her, more the actress. And then the second time it's like a mix. And then the third, by the third time it's, it's Reese Shearsmith. So I, I just, I just think it's an example of really, you know, I, it's a story that sort of grips you. There's funny bits in it. There's quite scary bits in it. And there's, uh, you know, quite an unsettling tone. And, and like, I think they're so good at, at, at story and you, you know, there's some, there's some programs or things like that where you feel like a bit shortchanged that not an awful lot's happened or something like that, but you can never, ever accuse Pemberton and Shearsmith uh, and even uh, Mark Gatiss of that. You know, I think, I think they are such geniuses at, at, at their art. And I, I mean, you know, I've got such respect and, and I, I think they're outstanding. And I think that's a great episode. So, yeah and they directed that episode as well didn't they yes they did yeah that i was going to mention that and it's it's all from the cctv like yeah. one main shot of of like andy's workstation and then mm-hmm. three smaller shots and it's a really clever way of showing it because each each camera has a purpose in the story as well seem like lesser stories because it isn't too flashy it is like you say just cctv static ca- images through the entire thing they're able to really draw you in with the writing mm. and, and, and then surprise you. You know, it's, yeah. you know, you're starting off with jokes about, you know, PPIs and yeah. having to urinate into a cup because you yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 slapstick comedy. Yeah. We always watch them, obviously, when they come out, but mm. upon re, uh, re-watching The Devil of Christmas, <laughs> love that title, we, uh, we watched a couple of others, didn't we, for, Diddle Diddle Dumpling, which is where oh, Reese Shearsmith's character, just like a stay-at-home dad who possibly used to have a good job until they had the kid, he finds a shoe, a lovely, smart, sort of uh, leather shoe, gentleman's shoe. Yeah. <laughs> and it, again, it's another one where it's just far, complete farce that gets more serious, and then the twist is actually very serious. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and he becomes Keely Hawes is his wife and he becomes, she's like a, you know, got a high-powered job or something and he's sort of staying at home. I think initially it was to look at, you know, to be a house husband or whatever. Obviously, since then, he's become um, a lot more obsessed with the shoe and he's not really <laughs> bothered at all about um, the, one of the, they've got another kid, you know, so they've got a kid who barely pays any attention. He doesn't pay attention to her. No, yeah. Well, yeah, and Steve Pemberton's character is not in it much. He He's obviously trying it on with his wife, and he's so he's oblivious to that because all he's obsessed with doing is finding the owner of the shoe. <laughs> he puts so those, that, like, wanted posters. Yeah, wanted posters all down the road. <laughs> a black yeah. man's shoe. Yeah, yeah, black man's shoe, yeah. It's like, I noticed you said black man's shoe. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, I didn't really know about the phrase of that, but it could it could be a black man. We don't know. That's what we want to find out, you know. Uh, oh, and it, it's just it's so good because it it to me it was just told fast, like I say, and it's structured in. Well, you think it's a whole year, but it, I think it six years go by maybe. But yes, it's done in January. Uh, sorry, um, winter. Well, it starts in spring, then summer then autumn and then winter and it's done to the Vivaldi's four seasons. Yeah. So it's the music's brilliant as well. And 
the the wife Keely Hawes becomes so worried about him, obviously that she she gets a guy to pose as someone who has the shoe because she's obviously got the inside information as to what the shoe is. Because when he's he's inquiring about <laughs> to try and when people are ringing in and he, I think there's a there's a, a, a session where he's on a radio show with Danny Baker, you know, it gets to that point where he's quite high profile <laughs> and. And he's like listening back at himself, you know, and he's worried, he's worried he hasn't said all the correct details. He's so obsessed yeah. with the shoe. And yeah, so eventually, um, Keely Hawes, we don't know this at the time, but you know, she, a guy comes to the door who says, oh, it's my shoe. And he's like, he needs to answer three, three or four questions about the shoe. <laughs> what size is it? Number nine, because that's what inside number nine. What? Tread. Yeah, the tread, the tread. <laughs> and he has, he has a picture of three different treads at the bottom. It's just the most me humour this ever. Yeah, it's like just A, brilliant. B, or C. Yeah, A, B, or C. And the guy's like, yeah. um, can I see B again? Because yeah. Actually- <laughs> it's the guy from... Yeah, 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 I love yeah. him. He's it's hilarious. So funny, yeah. <laughs> and he's just entirely believable. He's just, you know, just a random guy. And, he, and he's like, Reese Jason's gutted that he knows it and it, it must be a shit because yeah. he, he's had it for a year at least yeah, right he's now. like he's can just, I just have a moment yeah can I just have a moment <laughs> like, do you not do you want to talk about the shoe or do you want to make the mess? <laughs> and then so obviously he goes off with the shoe and I think another season goes by and he's yeah he's got a new job and he's going <laughs> yeah. brilliantly everything's superb and then there's is it, this kid does the rhyme diddle diddle dumpling yeah and it i mean it later it later reveals that again it's so serious it's not funny (laughs) that they had twins and one of them died yeah so he's been obsessed with the fact that there should always be two whatever pair there should always be two (laughs) (laughs) but then yeah he finds out that his wife had put this guy an old university mate up to this to pretend to be the, the owner of the actual shoe because she'd given him the details and because he, he sees a photograph of them at university yeah, it's again it's like a horror you know so like, <laughs> old, you know 80s photograph of them at university you know and um yeah so that then he goes completely off the rails again and uh yeah and it sort of zo- it zooms in at the end of like a bit like the shining doesn't it with the the, the photo of him Holding yeah. the, the twins, yeah. and then it zooms in on the shoes, and he's wearing those <laughs> shoes. I don't know whether that was even more of an obsession. The fact that it was the same shoe that he—I don't know—but it's. Uh, I, I was reading a bit about it today, and apparently, Steve Pemberton had the idea because he found a shoe on, on its That's own, hilarious. and he sort of did think about how one could get obsessed with, like, well, why? Why yeah. is it on its own? What? Yeah, you know why. <laughs> Perfectly good shoe. <laughs> it's not something you just leave or lose. If yeah. it was both of them, fair enough. And then apparently after they'd filmed it, Reese Shearsmith found a shoe on its own. <laughs> just, I just look. James, I think really like our brother James really liked this one again because it's just, it's so stupid and <laughs> I, I do love obsessions with yeah things. I love it. Um. So I can't remember what bit it is. You might you, um, you might need to bleep this out, actually, uh, Chris. But Tom, at what point when she 
Keely Hawes says that she's done something with it, like throwing it out. Or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she's like, you fucking what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Or, um, <laughs> pretend the buyer to it. Yeah. He's like, yeah. she's obviously so sick and worried about it. Yeah. It's not got that serious. <laughs> that she, yeah. she obviously just said she's thrown it out. He's like, where's the shoe? I can't find it. Yeah. I think he gets a phone call, you know, an inquiry. And then he, he goes, yeah. get it, and it's gone. It's like, oh, come on. It's, you know, it had to go and all this because it's not that serious yet. And he, you fucking what? And then he <laughs> fishes it out. You see him in the background of the shot in, in the garden yeah. where the bin is, rooting through the bins to get this. <laughs> it's so good, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it is, dear. It's quite League of Gentlemen, that. I can't, I'm trying to think of it, yeah. where someone is really precious about something that isn't particularly important. Um, I don't know. You know, that the, the joke shop guy, for instance, you know, it's, it's so serious to him, every, every joke, you know, and the fact that you must try all these jokes, like, you ain't leaving this shop. Well, Pauline so, and yeah, her pens. <laughs> pens, yeah. Pauline yeah. and her pens. Yeah. It's almost like a yeah, symbol for something else. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Just brilliant. <laughs> yeah, we were... We we'll watched that, and then we watched um, Bernie Clifton's dressing room. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd forgotten the twist yeah. of that again. again. Yeah, yeah. I did as well last time I watched. But it's one of those where, like Math said, it's it's, it's mainly quite slap it's slapstick, but silly and quite harrowing <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, because it you you'll get the jokes because they're an old comedy uh, a, a duo, aren't they? Uh huh. And they've got the called crackers and cheese, you know, a really rubbish name. <laughs> and what's your obsession? Yeah, with yeah. What's your obsession <laughs> with cheese? Why did he have to do cheese? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because oh yeah, what was it? Because I can't remember something. Out another name was gone or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we didn't have to do those names. But he, <laughs> yeah. So he, it, ostensibly, you know, it's like um, Reece Shearsmith's the sort of. They're, you know, they're like 70s, 80s comedy duo who've obviously gone on. He's moved on, Reece Shearsmith's uh, character, quite prim, looks good for his age, he's got a good job. And the other guy's an absolute mess. And <laughs> It's not funny again when you find out, you know, he's he's homeless and because you find a bit of bog roll and a, and a little razor, don't you? It's so funny. And he made a joke about that as well, didn't he? Um, yeah. I can't remember what it was, it was quite funny. Yeah, oh. it's tasteless, yeah. The, and... In between this, the sort of read, I don't, it's almost like they're back together for like one last gig or something. Mm-hmm. And ten green bottles, ten green, yeah, yeah. team uh, yeah. brown bottles, brown yeah. bottles. Because yeah. the joke is that it's beer, isn't it? Yeah, and they're getting drunk. But then, of course, Steve Pemberton's character is actually an alcoholic, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what led to the whole the breakdown of the duo and all that. Um, yeah, there's that, and then in between that, you got some really good tasteless gags like. Uh, I can't remember they're going through other old comedians, but you don't, you don't, they don't name them and like, yeah, we can't really use those references anymore. Oh, they're all Utree, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> like, He's not. Yeah, well, he will be. Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Deary me. But again, that's another the tragic twist that it, he's just come to his old warehouse or some, uh, mm-hmm. well, it's like an old school hall where they might have performed or something, and loads yeah. of his props are. And he's, he's died, and he's just going through and reminiscing about the acts they did mm-hmm. and the guilty feels for, for sort of not stopping him 
or well, stopping him, but not ignoring him and abandoning him where it's his darkest hour and all this. And but I think the the, the title he come Bernie Clifton's dressing room came from that Big Brother. What was it? It was one of the Nolan sisters who had an argument with Jim Davidson. I don't know if you remember this when they were in Celebrity Big Brother. Yeah, I do remember that. It was like a weird tension between those two uh-huh. the whole series, and you'd no idea why. And I think Jim Davidson said, "Oh, I can't remember which one of them was, but it was like, yeah, you know what? I think it was Jim Davidson. Yeah, you know what happened in Bernie Clifton's dressing room, don't you? That, and that was the reason. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. And and that was something to do with I can't remember in the end. Maybe she stole something. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But it was just such a cliched sort of, you know, an 80s ref, an old reference. No one's heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's exactly the kind of thing that, you know, Hamilton and Shearsmith would snatch up a <laughs> They love that whole... It's a bit like um, Les McQueen again in, in League of Gentlemen. Yeah. You know, he's so old-fashioned yeah. out of touch, you know. Punk rock, that's what happened and- it's a shit business. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just so out of touch and think he can still make it in the music business. Creme brulee. Creme brulee. Yeah. Yeah. Telephone tears. Yeah. You're always engaged, girl, but never to meet you. <laughs> yeah, it's just... Those, uh, those are my favourites, though, the kind of... Where it is a joke, but yeah. it's... it's tastelessly harrowing as well i quite like that i can't remember everything that happened but the the football one the referee yeah, yeah. the referee is a wanker i think oh, yeah, yeah. It's, absolutely it's hilarious it is yeah so funny there's such good ideas and, and, and possibilities around the song yes mm. yeah. and they did the, what was it was it called uh, zanzibar is it the one it's in the hotel yeah I don't um think. corridor the right in the what do they call it Pen- yeah the rhyming Pen- couple Pen- yeah there we go yeah that and again, you start off thinking, oh, this is going to, this might be quite grating. After yeah, a while. trying. But it works so well because of the injection of, of that, like you say, that uh, tasteless humor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, twists and turns. I think they, they, they do it. I, don't, I can't, I can't think of anyone. I can't, to be honest, I can't think of many series where the quality of the writing has been so high for so long. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Usually it's sort of tails off. You know, after that, oh, it's series three, you get that kind of fatigue towards the end. It's kind of, oh, well, it's not, they're just, you know, kind of churning out just the same old stuff. But Especially given it's anthology, you know, it's not, you know, they're not dealing with the same characters all the time. So, um, you know, it's a different, and the shift from genre to, you know, genre and tone and, and, and everything. Um, I, I almost think, you know, it, Black Mirror might be one that you compare it to a bit as well in that respect. I, um, although I think there are some brilliant episodes on of that, and there's some you know great ideas and everything. I'm I'm probably more in awe of of Inside Number Nine, personally speaking, just because of the I don't know, just the variety. Also, the fact that I it, it blows my mind a bit that they get these brilliant stories into what like 28 minutes. Yeah, yeah. You know that's pretty good. Some of these ideas you could easily make into a film. Oh, yeah, yeah, you could. You could. Yeah, they, they, they're able to bring these characters to life. And obviously the fact that it's anthology means that they can get a different actors of a good caliber, you know, in to, to, to play these parts. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in awe of it.
Yeah, I've, I've chosen the uh, episode uh, Riddle of uh, the Sphinx, which is, I think, from series two. And it's uh, the the genius of the writers all at work in half an hour. I, to anyone else, this would be a film idea that mm. would make a lot of money, in my opinion. You know, it'd yeah. be a, a real hit. But for them, it's just a, a one of many half-hour stories. But the effort and the attention to detail in it is absolutely outstanding. From the the character development within it, the twists and the turns, and the way the way the if, if for those who may need their memory jogging, it's the one where. Um, a woman stumbles in on a professor at uh, King's College University looking to kind of dig deeper into his mindset when doing these amazing crossword puzzles that he does. And the two of them kind of strike a bit of a banterful relationship, which is really fun and enjoyable, mm. but in a slightly creepy setting. But the relationships develop until there are twists and it takes, like a lot of Inside Number Nine episodes, it takes a dark twist it takes a second and a third dark twist. It introduces a new character just for the final third that kind of reverses a lot of things and flips things on the head. And I think it's amazing the pace that they're able to keep the storytelling at in just mm-hmm. that length of time so that you can have a twist. I think it's remarkable that in this, I think there are three twists and each one has impact I think it's incredibly done mm-hmm. um, and littered in all this is great humour that you'd expect from the likes of the writers you know that there's some there's some really funny comments that make you laugh but they've got that ability to make you laugh but then within the next sentence kind of haunts you with something that they say or uh, make you think right we're in a scary situation even though you've just made a hilarious joke um, but the, the Riddle of the Sphinx is such a well told geniusly crafted story that any filmmaker would be proud of any filmmaker um, and for it just to be a, one of a series is outstanding they, they never really repeat themselves you know no. them to, to, to go from you know kind of almost more like um, like touching drama with a twist or you know a comedy again like a, co- a comedy of errors type yeah of half an hour and then to do something that that like yeah this really stood out to me as an episode that was incredibly well written and smart and original and you know there was a lot to it you know like even and, and I learned you know just like as a casual viewer you know being walked through how crosswords are created and the clues yeah. and everything is fascinating you know? exactly and and, and and I don't know if that's how people really do some of these crossword puzzles but he comes up the main character, um, Nigel, he's called. He, when he first meets this girl, he comes up with a riddle on the spot that I can't remember what it is, but he dissects it and all the clues and how mm-hmm. the beginning word of the sentence and the end word of the sentence and there's an indicator word in it, and he's managed to think of this on the spot. It, it it's amazing, and throughout it, this this girl supposedly when you think she's just stumbled upon it he's teaching her how to do these crossword puzzles and it's almost like you're being taught as well which is really good storytelling but then yeah it turns out that she is on top she knows exactly how they're done but then even still he once again has the upper hand the upper hand keeps flipping in the episode which is brilliant I'm really intelligent and, and, and there's also a sense of fun and I think that's yeah. what we're yeah. if 
If you look at the, the, the background, you know, coming from like League of Gentlemen and, you know, Psychoville, where, which leans probably more into comedy, but mm. obviously always, always had a horror, you know, a dark side to it. But obviously, you know, it's, it's, I think that, that comedy background really helps the writing. That yeah. the, the, They have a, such an understanding of, of balancing things that when things get a bit too dark, you can just like elevate it a little bit in terms of offering a bit of relief or just yeah. one line that is yeah. is yeah. humorous. It's like a breathing space where you think... But it doesn't remove you from the story. Yeah, exactly. It's just pitched just at the right level. Yeah. yeah. I, I, think, think, I think they're even able to do that. Obviously, they're amazing writers and I think the direction's great and cinematic and that, but their ability as actors... Yes. Not just with the way they deliver lines, but their faces, facially, their expressions are incredible. Shearsmith yes. and Pemberton, like in that episode, <clears throat> Pemberton goes from being a little bit villainous mm. to being a little bit soft and cuddly to being yeah. a little bit villainous to at the end, you feel really, really sorry for him, even though you spent a lot of the episodes threatened by him. Mm. And it's, I think that is such astounding acting from him yeah. and I think it's all in his face and his eyes he's got a, they've got such good faces that they yeah. can convey these characters and you know they put on different makeup and they do take on these different characters but ultimately what the, what they can all do with their eyes is absolutely incredible this set of actors um, and and I think it links to comedy whereas the, well, sorry it's that based on that point that a lot of good comedy comes from good acting really mm. um, and the comedy is within the character it's not necessarily the lines, it's the, the strength of the character that creates how effective the comedy is. Mm-hmm. And that's something that these two, and obviously uh, Gators have always been able to do on camera. They've always been able to convey pathos, but then comedy, horror. They can do it all in an incredible way. Such a talented bunch. Mm. They must have so much fun coming up with these characters. Yeah, and that, yeah and exactly. And you get that. that you, you get the sense that they're having fun. Yeah, and the variety as well to be able to say, well, on this episode, you're a married couple. In this episode, you're, you know, you can you can do whatever you want. The, like the world is your oyster kind of yeah. thing. And I, I think it's it, it, there's there's such a joy into it. You, you can tell it's, a, it's something that's they're really passionate about. The standard of writing actually, I think, is almost improving mm. as well as their ideas. You know, having t- talked about the, the the Halloween special, which obviously takes some cues from things like Ghost Watch. It's innovative. It feels fresh. Yeah. Even though they're kind of playing with kind of, um, you know, quite familiar sort of tropes, that they're able to put a spin on it. And again, yeah, it's that yeah. balance of genuine drama, bit of horror, and, you know, and, and comedy. To be able to, that, that sort of balancing mm. act, I think he just keeps yeah. it feeling fresh and exciting every time they do something new. But like you say, they're such good storytellers that they can do that and then have a daft episode next or a moving one. The problem with that, though, is that. Many times I said to my wife, you know, come on, come and watch Inside Number Nine with me. There's a re- it was really funny, you know. It was Nana's party. I think I watched Nana's party, and you know, like it was so funny. I'd love it. So watch this next one with me. And then it's it was um, it was the one where the 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 girl's life flashes before her eyes, oh. morbid, emotional, yes. and didn't heavy going. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> never watched it again. So what's great for That's me? Pride. I love jumping between st- different yeah. styles of storytelling. Yeah. In some ways, it meant it would just be me watching, and my wife wouldn't join in because we didn't know what episode, what the next episode would bring at all. Only thing that holds it together is that is obviously the nine, you know, yeah. the room yeah. nine, or the, you know, to to have that kind of freedom 
well, must exactly. be so liberating yeah, and also yeah. incredibly frightening. It's like, well, we can't do that again. You know, it's yeah. not like you could carry on the story. Next episode, we'll do the same, but it's just a bit more to it. Yeah, you've got to have to come up with standalone original stories every yeah. week. Good grief. You know, and like it's you say, some of those, those plots are, are, are like worthy of feature films. Yeah, absolutely. It's just what these guys need. Obviously, their minds and brains have got so many absolutely incredible ideas and together as a team they write so well to have this freedom that you've just said now where well you can write about anything you can mm. come up with a series of short films all you need to do is just make it somewhere linked to number nine but other than that you can take it any way you want it's amazing freedom that these guys have been given and such a um, relief that it's been successful that we've now had four or five series of it Um it clearly shows that there's an audience for this, even though the the stories are so wide and varied. Hmm. And so, what 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 made you sort of choose this episode? Was it down to the was it down to the the, the subject matter? Was it down to the twists and turns? Um, well, the subject matter crosswords is not something I do, so I was um, fairly naive going into it. I they had me in the palm of their hand really on that. Um, and I was impressed by everything that went into it as a device for unravelling the plot and unravelling twists and things like that. The crossword was used brilliantly and I was mm-hmm. um, really admiring it and in awe of it, even though it might turn out that real crossword people know that it was a bit daft. I've no idea, but firstly I was in awe of that. But then it had all the um, the the things that I love about those guys as writers in terms of the comedy the characterization and their acting skills and their fun when they're clearly on set dressing up and adding the makeup and playing these characters. You feel like every character they play is some kind of nod to someone that's inspired them, maybe from an M.R. James story or something like that. It feels like they're they're so inspired by similar things to what I like. And um, this episode had all, you know, the intricate plots, great characters, a hint of horror at the start but then it becomes more of a thriller um, and um, there's real danger in it and it, it's for me the reason I've picked it is just how they have somehow managed to tie all that into 30 minutes where by the end you feel like you have watched a full story or you've read a full book because you've gone through all the ups and downs with all the characters and you've been led along you've not you've never guessed what's going to come you've never had the upper hand yourself in the story and you're so satisfied by the end as well um, that I thought this perfectly showcased all their talents in a fairly fast-paced way. Um, so, yeah, Rule of Sphinx for me is one that's really worth checking out and one that I would recommend actually to quite a wide audience because I'm sure that there's lots for people to admire in there um, about the storytelling, the acting, the dialogue. Um, yeah, I think it's really entertaining, really, really entertaining to watch. No one had ever seen League of Gentlemen or Psychoville or anything that they were kind of, or any episode of Inside Number Nine. What would you pick as this is a really great entry to start with? You know, what what, what would you say that, that really encapsulates the that balance between horror, comedy, twists? Is the one that comes to mind? I would. I wouldn't go for the one I talked about, Cold Comfort, and I wouldn't go for the drama ones I talked about either. I think 
the first ever one that was released was Sardines. I think that was quite a good one to uh, to start with because it had like the sort of thriller horror elements, but mainly sort of comedy, and it had silly characters for people to to be able to laugh at, and and, and you know this interesting premise, and uh, and obviously it also bring brings about you know the the fact that the something we haven't mentioned is the fact that it's you know the whole thing is inside number nine it's set within one place or one you know kind of generally speaking so obviously that episode sardines that gets you right in there because it's it's almost in one in a clot in a wardrobe in one place which i I think is a good way to it i think the bill as well well, um that's that's quite a good one because you know it's funny people can possibly relate to that a bit and then you know it, it but then there's a bit of a sort of twist and it gets out of hand and more out of hand a bit like sardines so that introduces you to what it's like yeah but in a slightly more accessible way i would say mm-hmm. yeah i, I was going to say the bill it's yeah that's hilarious, yeah because so it i mean devil of <laughs> christmas is <laughs> i i'd only recommend that if you sort of know this kind of thing because it's a, it's quite a lot to sort of if you've never seen anything like this do you do you realise it's sort of taking the mick or lovingly out yeah, of 70s shows and the Rick's you know, there's nothing else like that that's gonna be on. Yeah. Do you would you the audience be thinking, oh, am I meant to be laughing at this or is it meant to be scary? It's not that scary. And, or and is it just end, a really crap show? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, they might not know. It's so there's so much going on that you'd only appreciate it, I think, when you have seen a lot of their other stuff. Um I think there was another one I was gonna mention that yeah, the referee, the referee's wanker is quite a good one, isn't it? Yeah, because it's all in the all in the one place. If even if you don't know much about football, it's pretty relatable. It's not horror. It's not like it could happen. It's obviously stupid, and <laughs> that one's good. Yeah, um, the stakeout. The stake. Yeah, I was gonna, we mentioned that didn't we before the stakeout, which is again seems to be building towards something and then a completely yeah. twist which you no one would have expected which is kind of like that so yeah I, I, the, the, those those two maybe yeah those are quite good ones mm. um but nothing the ones where you know they sort of did they do one in the last series where it was all uh pieces to camera from different people and it turned out it was all split personality or something oh yes with maxine p y- yeah 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 I mean that's superb, but it's probably a little bit too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's a bit dark that one, isn't it? Dear me. That's, uh... <laughs> Misdirection as well. The the rival <clears throat> magicians and the son coming back to mm-hmm. claim his, you know. Oh yeah. His invention of the magic trick, but yeah. Yeah. That was that's quite. I think someone would like that. Most people would like. That. I was just going to. Um, mention. I, I alluded to this. Well, I mentioned it to you before. Chris and Tom, I don't know if Jennifer, I, I, um, and I know, I think they get this an awful lot that people say, why don't you do an episode on the, the one that Reece Shearsmith always says on Twitter is that people, they've had so many people saying, why don't you do one on number nine bus? Um, and people giving them ideas or something, but I've always wanted to, and I, and I still want to write myself, even though I know that they only write, you know, themselves, but I've always wanted to write an episode or, at least pitch an episode to them about um, an episode set at number nine polling station on election. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because having, <laughs> having done elections, I think it's ripe for comedy, but also I think there's the potential for, for drama or something because 
So you're stuck in this place. You can't leave. You know, Clark, with, you? you're not allowed to leave. You're stuck with the same people. Some people you've met before, um, but other times it's like. So, so for example, um, there are people who do it every year, so they think they know everything about elections and, and everything. They know who's going to win, or they know the candidates. Um, you know, there are people from the parties who come round, and you know, possibly the the actual candidates themselves come round and, uh, and tell you. And also, obviously, there are public members of the public coming in and out, and you've got a list of of people in front of you. And in a way, you sort of when you're doing these, I don't know whether you're the same, Tom, but you're sort of piecing them together and you see the names or yeah. you know what's going on with them. Or and uh, I, I just think it would be it would be a great setting it for um, for comedy and some you know dramatic thing happening. Because the police have to come in in the day as well. <laughs> yeah, you that's that true. Yeah, yeah. bring in the sort of scary, yeah. threatening element. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they have to come in three times. Yeah, and at least you have to time. check whether someone obviously hasn't voted twice, so that could be some scary twist where, hang on, you've just voted, but I've seen you before. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. I've been in here. Or so, I don't know. Yeah. There's so many yeah, and someone who's taken. And, and it's like, it's one of those things where, some people are really like they take it so seriously. Yeah. They control freaks about it. So if suddenly <laughs> something <laughs> went wrong, and they, you know, it 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 would, it would create chaos. So yeah, that would be great. Though. But whether I, uh, where, I, I think I might just write it. Just <laughs> yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> see what. <laughs> Doesn't it have to be number nine. It could be something else. Can it? I think it's a well, it's a great idea. It, it could, idea. yeah. It's just the whole number nine thing sets. You know, that's why it's set within one place. But anyway, yeah. as a play, you could do it as a play as well, couldn't you? Because <clears> it is all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> the caretakers as well. Absolutely. These some really weird characters you get in these. <laughs> <laughs> and that could be a bit like the Devil of Christmas, where they they lock you in at the end. Or mm. something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dark twist at the end, right? Okay, should stop there. Yeah, yeah.